I'll talk about how many you really need to own and which ones might be best for you, hopefully, in a way that you haven't heard before because I know these games have been talked about often enough on other podcasts. But to start off with, let's take a look at Sweet and Spicy, which just got its Japan release alongside the reprint of Spicy. Now, these two games are 95% the same game and have the same base structure. The starting player will play a card upside down with a number between 1 and 3. And they need to say the number they play and the suit, which in both games has chilies and pepper. And then the third is different, with spicy having wasabi and sweet and spicy having lemons. So they'll say something like two chili. After that, the next player will need to play a higher card than that in the same suit. And they'll say what they play and play the card upside down. So they may say three chili or six chili. And this will go until you get to 10 and then it resets. Now, the problem is, what do you do if you can't play? Well, that's fine, because you don't really have to play that card. You can lie about it. So let's say the starting player plays two chili, but you don't have any chilies in your hand, so you play a four pepper. But you can just say you played four chili. This is where the bluffing comes in, and someone else can call you out. If someone else thinks you're lying, they can say so, but they need to guess which one you're lying about. Were you lying about the number, or were you lying about the spice? They have to get that right to win the challenge. It isn't enough to just guess right that you were lying in the first place. So, in our example, let's say you played a four pepper and someone said, I think you're lying. I don't think it's a four. Then you flip it over and alas, it was a four, but you were lying about the spice. Doesn't matter. You still win because they were wrong. The winner of the challenge gets to take all the cards on the pile, and those will be points at the end of the game. The loser has to draw two cards. Now, there are trophy cards in this game that are worth 10 points. And you get one of these by getting rid of all the cards in your hand. The game ends when one player has two trophy cards, when all three trophy cards are taken, or when the end of the world card is drawn. You'll count up the points from trophy cards and cards you won in challenges, and the most points wins. Now, with that set of rules, you can play either sweet and spicy or spicy. That doesn't change. But each box has something else that comes with it that makes it slightly different. Spicy has advanced variant cards that change the rules for that certain game. They have a red back to them, and you'll draw one at the beginning of the game. That's that. Sweet and Spicy has ultimate wild cards in the box. Now, each game has these cards in the deck that are regular wild cards, but either for spices or numbers. So some can count as any number, and some can count as any spice, but they are absolutely nothing of the other. So let's say you play a wild number card that can count as any number. You say it's a three wasabi. If someone challenges you and says your number is a lie, You automatically win because it's a wild number card. However, it has no spice. So if someone instead said, I think you're lying, it's not wasabi, then they automatically win. So playing these wild cards are a bit of a gamble, but hey, everything in this game is. Sweet and Spicy has those cards, but also everyone starts with an ultimate wild card, which counts as both. So it's any spice and any number. It's basically a free card. And they have a different back to them, so other players know that you played that card. That's what I think they mean by a kid friendly variant. There's one card that they can play no matter what. And that's the games.
Let's talk a little bit about them. I was always a fan of Spicy, but I actually gave it away to someone because I didn't realize that it had gone out of print here. So I was excited to be able to play this one again, and I introduced it this time to my in-laws. My wife and I have probably played this game somewhere in the 20-something times range, which probably tells you how much we like it. It's a very simple premise that is easily understandable for anyone, especially for people who have played the game BS, or I think it's called Doubt or Cheat in some places, which is much the same game, but without needing to guess whether the number or suit was a lie. Both Spicy and Sweet and Spicy have very attractive art, which I know is mostly a subjective thing, but after playing some other games the last couple of days that have pretty minimal or bad art, I really appreciated the work done in these games. In both versions, you see the story playing out on the cards, with the one being the character saying the spice, and then as the cards go up, you see the story of them eating it, then freaking out at how spicy it is. It's very nice. Spicy has big cats as the characters, and has a very traditional, almost mythological, East Asian look to it, which is understandable as the artist is Jimin Kim, who is from South Korea. And it has this very lovely gold finish to it too. Sweet and Spicy uses the cat aesthetic as well, but it's kittens. It's much cuter and has more eye-popping color. Really well done by South Korean artist Yoon Sung. So that may be one way to pick which one you want. But I think the big question will ultimately come down to the choice between those ultimate wild cards or the advanced variant cards. I can tell you that I never actually played with the advanced variant cards in the original. I really never was even interested in them, to be honest. I so often use Spicy as a game to play with people who don't play games that I never really played enough with the same group to say, hey, let's change it up this time we play because we've already played this game a bunch of times together. But I do think it would be a good as a way of spicing it up for those who've played it a bunch. We did play with the ultimate wild cards in Sweet and Spicy, however, and I know that many comments on BoardGameGeek have already been hating on these, talking about how they ruin the point of the game. And I cannot say that I agree with that. I think it changes the game, sure, but in a way that almost makes it feel quicker and challenges feel more necessary. I already liked in Spicy that it required you to participate. There's something so satisfying about knowing someone is lying, but then you have to figure out what they're lying about because they might only be half lying. You need to challenge people though because winning those challenges is the way to get points. You can't just sit around. But by needing to draw cards if you're wrong, it means it's still quite a bit riskier for the person calling someone out than it is for the liar. I love that push and pull. What having this ultimate wild card does is it announces to everyone that you still have it. And when I see someone still has it, I want to call out their other cards more because I don't want them to be able to play that as their last card and then they get a trophy. But at the same time, I might be saving mine for the same reason. Or maybe instead of passing this turn, I'll just play the wild card instead so I don't have to draw anything. Buy myself a bit of time. And if you go out, you draw back up to the starting hand size and now you don't have a wild card. What I think it does is not only create more urgency in players to challenge, but it also skews the endgame conditions back towards the trophy cards. In Spicy, the most common endgame condition hit was the end of the world card. I'd say something like 75% of the time. That's how our games ended. No problem with that at all. But in Sweet and Spicy, those trophy cards were flying. People were working hard to get those trophies because they always started with one card that was free. Meaning, hey, they are already closer to getting one. But if I'm closer to getting one, that means everyone else is too. And that creates urgency to challenge I just talked about. It makes any of the endgame conditions feel possible at any time. And that creates this lovely sense of tension while still having all the fun of a bluffing game that is light and accessible. So when it comes down to the question of do we recommend this game, it's an absolute yes. I'm so happy that I have a copy of this again, and we'll probably play it again tonight. Setup is a breeze, the rules teach is simple, the art is fantastic in both versions, and it's just plain fun lying to your family. Which version should you get? 
I think you'll be fine with either. I think the probably easiest way of choosing is choosing based on the art style you like better. Spicy, I would say, is the much more striking art. It's certainly, I don't, I don't want to say mature because it makes it sound inappropriate, which it's not, but it's definitely more of a mature beautiful. Sweet and spicy is a more charming art style. You'll giggle at the cute kittens freaking out over their food. But otherwise, it comes down to how often you'll play this game with the same group. Do you think you'll play it with the same people often enough that you'll need to change it up every once in a while? Okay, well, then spicy is the one to go with then. Do you think you'll just mostly be playing this with young kids? Okay, well, maybe sweet and spicy then. Your call. But both of these games are excellent. But that leads us to the main discussion for the day. Where does spicy belong in the realm of bluffing games? Now, I'm not talking about bluffing games that can be played with a deck of cards, something like BS or Cheat or Doubt that we talked about earlier. I'm talking about the games that have seemingly become the main staples for those looking to purchase a bluffing game for their collection. Skull, Cockroach Poker, Liar's Dice, and Coyote. Since the point of this episode is to compare them, I want to briefly go over them first, even though I'm sure many of you listening to this podcast have heard of at least one, if not all of them. Let's start with the OG, Liar's Dice, which some of you may know as Bluff or Perudo. Basically, everyone will roll their dice in a cup and look at their results secretly. Someone will start the bid by saying how many of one face of the die they think is present in total at the table. So they might say something like five threes. Players will go around the circle raising it, like saying there are seven threes, until someone challenges the previous bid. When that happens, everyone lifts their cups and shows their dice. If the bid is matched or exceeded, the bidder wins. If not, the challenger wins. The loser loses one dice, and then you roll again. Last person standing wins. This last person standing win is also present in our next game, Skull, or Skulls and Roses. Each player has four cards, three with roses and one with a skull. To start the round, each player will play one card upside down in front of them. Then, going around the circle, players can add a card to the top of their pile until someone starts the bid. They are bidding on how many cards they think they can flip over without flipping a single skull. Once the bidding starts, players can choose to raise the bid or pass. Once everyone but one player has passed, they win the bid, and they need to do it, but they have to start by flipping over all their cards first. After that, they can flip over whoever's cards they want. If they are successful, they win the challenge. If they flip a skull, they lose a card. The person whose skull they flipped over gets to randomly choose a card from the loser's hands and put it in the box without saying what it is. The game is won by either being the last person standing or by successfully winning two challenges. The next game is Cockroach Poker, which is definitely the zaniest of the games we'll cover today. There are eight kinds of critters that you might have in your hand. One person will start by giving a card to someone and saying what kind of card that is. They might be lying or telling the truth. So they might say, hey, this is an ant. The next person has three choices. They can say, I absolutely believe you. That's an ant. And they flip it. If they're right, the person who gave it to them puts the card in front of them. If they are wrong, they keep the card in front of them. The opposite is to say, well, I absolutely think you're lying. That is not an ant. And again, if they're right, the person who gave it to them puts the card in front of them. And if they're wrong, they keep the card in front of them. But the third thing is to say neither of these things and take a peek at the card, then give it to someone else saying what it is. It can be the same thing like, oh yeah, that, that really was an ant. But they can also say something like, wow, they lied to us. That's not an ant. That's a toad. And now the next person has the same choices. If this keeps happening and it gets to the last person, they have to say whether it's a lie or the truth. The game is over once one person collects four of the same type of critter. They lose and everyone else wins. That's right. It's an only one loser game. Our final game is Coyote. Right away, this game is very unlike the others because you can see everyone else's cards, but not your own. You'll have a little card stand in front of you, and everyone will point their cards towards the center of the table. There will also be one secret card in the middle. These cards all have numbers on it, 
and you'll go around the table raising the bid of how close you can get to the total on the table without going over. You can also pass or use one of the special abilities to see the card in the middle. But the other thing you can do is call someone out, in which case everyone shows their cards. And if the bid was over, the bidder loses a card. If the bidder was under, then the challenger loses a card. However, you still want the challenge because winning the challenges allows you to have the power to see the middle card. There are also special cards that might make the highest card turn to zero or replace it with the top card from the deck. Last person standing wins. Okay, so now you've got the big five really, but how many of these do you even need to own? Are they different enough from each other to compel one to own multiple of these, or is just one okay? And that's a hard question to answer, mostly because these games, probably more than any other genre of game, are the most group dependent. A quick search on Reddit would land you on tons of previous posts, some of which shouting that Cockroach Poker is the best and Skull is terrible, whereas the next one screams that Skull is a superior game unmatched by any other and Cockroach Poker isn't even a game. And yet the next one says, why even bother buying these games when you can just get Liar's Dice? Opinions on these games because of the group dependency, I think can span the entire spectrum and be just as valid, even though everyone is playing the same game with the same basic rules. All these games include lying to your friends and family, which might make some people be extremely uncomfortable, ruling out the genre as a whole. But for me, sitting here, I enjoy all these games. I own all these games, and probably will continue to. There have been numerous podcasts, blog posts, videos, all telling you the triumphs of these games. And I think at this point, just telling you about the games can kind of give you an idea if they sound fun to you or not. I think that actually makes me telling you more about how great these games are is not a good use of time. I think what will really make your decision clear is telling you why they fail. Instead of telling you the times when the game succeeded, I want to tell you about their shortcomings, why your group might hate them, and if you might want to stay away from them. And in that way, you can eliminate ones that sound bad and be left with the ones that sound like your group might enjoy. So let's start with probably the most divisive one, Cockroach Poker, or as I call it, bullying the game. Remember how I said that this one only has one loser? Yeah, that means that once someone gets two or three of the same kind of critter, everyone starts ganging up on them. Cool for the camaraderie of them, not great for the person getting targeted by everyone at the table. It's a weird shift from, I'm going to lie to win, to I'm going to lie to make that specific person lose. It is also strange because you'll have times where this leads to half the table not playing the game, or at least feeling like they aren't really that involved. This is also the most antagonistic one, because you are looking someone dead in the eyes and telling them, this is a rat, when in fact it's a grasshopper. The other games here have a less direct way of lying, or at least not as confrontational. If your group has anyone that might feel slightly uncomfortable with this, this game does not work. And don't even get me started on playing this with young kids because yeah, no, it can be pretty cool, but it can also lead to a lot of tears as one kid has an absolutely miserable time. Talking about time, can we just talk about how long Liar's Dice takes to play? Or at least it feels like it because being eliminated early sucks. It is so boring to sit there and watch people roll dice in cups. At least in Skull, if I'm out early, it's funny to watch people fall in their own hubris or shoot themselves in the foot by flipping over their own skull. But this, tremendously boring when you're out. There's also that nagging feeling that this game is really just not a game you can come back from. After losing a couple dice, you just have far less information than those at the table. And people know it. You can easily get trapped into either making a bid that makes no sense or having to challenge the person before you and hoping that you get lucky. And you probably won't. So you'll lose more dice. And now you have even less info. And yeah, you're probably going to lose. Have fun watching people roll dice in cups for the next 15 minutes. This one, or maybe one other that we'll talk about next, are probably the ones that require the least amount of bluffing 
which is a bit strange since they are in the category of bluffing games. I have absolutely played this game being safe and just making decent bets and not really bluffing at all. Between that, the snowballing effect, and player elimination, this one can be a big disappointment when looking to have fun lying to your friends. Which leads to the other mathy one that you can play without honestly bluffing too much, Coyote. This game of imperfect information can swing wildly based on the special cards, the negatives, and they can change the value by 20. So it's a game in which, especially in higher player counts, you're needing to constantly do math. Probabilities, simple addition, wait, I need to subtract out the highest card out there. It can make the game take a lot longer than the Vox says it does. And it also leads to people who are good at math just playing doing better at this game. You need to decide up front if you're going to play hard, sitting there doing the math and mentally thinking through the probabilities, or if you're just going to have a lax game. It doesn't work if everyone is not on the same page. And these longer games can also be a negative because it also has player elimination. In this case, it's at least decent fun to watch, but it's still never that fun to just sit there as other people get to play and have fun, especially if they're having fun with you for another 15 to 20 minutes. And like Liar's Dice, there is a strange feeling that I'm not really straight up bluffing in this game, but more indirectly doing so. Whereas in games like Skull or Cockroach Poker, I'm lying to you. I'm manipulating you. In Coyote, there are times when this happens, like coaxing someone into guessing a high number because they don't see that they have a negative, but mostly it's just about doing some math and making safe bets so you aren't eliminated. So let's get to the last one where you can be eliminated. Skull. Skull is elegant, streamlined, down to the point where it can actually just be boring if you don't have the right group for it. This game is heavily dependent on your group making bluffs, coaxing each other into stupid bets, and just going with it if you get got. There isn't much meat on the bones here, which for some people makes it great, but for others leaves them done with it after a play or two, especially if your group doesn't want to get into a silly mood or wants an interesting mechanism to pull them in and leave them wanting more. For example, I played this with my parents and the game just kind of fell flat. It was very, oh, I flipped a skull, I lose a card. Okay, next turn. No shouting, no goading, just very by the book. Playing it that way was lame, but I bet it happens all the time, especially when playing with people you don't know. Whereas with my friends, we play it while drinking and we make fun of each other and add our own personalities to the game. If your group can't do that, make something out of nothing, this isn't the game for you. So let's get to the last one, spicy and sweet and spicy. And honestly, the biggest thing on this one is that nobody loves this game. The people who like Skull love Skull. The people who like Cockroach Poker love Cockroach Poker. The people who like Spicy like Spicy. They like it, but they don't love it. In my time having it, nobody has asked me to bring it back. I've been asked for Skull or for Coyote, but Spicy is just good. And it's such a weird knock for a game, but that's where it sits. Bluffing games are supposed to be this experience you have with the others at the table, but this one more than any of the others feels the least memorable. It's like a high floor, low ceiling kind of game, where I think it's a very safe option, but it's not going to enter anyone's top 10 games list. And maybe that's why I never got to the point with Spicy, where I wanted to play with the advanced variants. I kept introducing it to new people, and then they liked it, but then we would always move on to something else and never return. So it comes down to really, do you need to own this one if you have the other ones? Do you need a game that is probably a very safe seven? When these others might be an eight or a nine, but they might also be a four. And that's something you have to answer. Do you have room in your collection for something like that? I don't want to be negative with these games anymore. I really enjoy these games and hope you do too. There's a reason that all these games go through multiple print runs and versions. They are all extremely affordable, coming in under 20 bucks. And they are all small, portable, and well-made. When it comes down to, is your group more than anything? And I hope that by telling you the negative things people can think about these games, you could determine if any of these games were not for your group. 
The other point I'd make is that some of these games are often grouped together. So maybe you don't need ones in the same grouping. Like, I don't think you need to have both Liar's Dice and Coyote. I don't think you need to have both Skull and Cockroach Poker. But at the same time, it definitely makes me a hypocrite because as I've said, I do own all five of these games and will continue to. But I think in my defense, it harkens back to what I've said over and over. I have these different games for different groups. I move a lot and so don't have the luxury of a consistent playgroup. So I have different games for different people. For those that love confrontation, Cockroach Poker is a huge hit. For those who want to drink and play, Skull is fantastic. For those who want a game that doesn't require direct lying, Coyote and Liar's Dice have worked well. And Spicy is the kind of general success, kind of the Mario of the bunch. The starter, the good at everything, great at nothing, but also bad at nothing. You know your group best, and I definitely think that owning multiple of these is not a bad thing. And if we're being honest, some of these games are easily proxyable to try out. Liar's Dice can be played with just some dice and some cups. Skull can be played with a deck of cards. Try this out first. And if you like them, please support the designers by buying the physical version of their games. Sorry that there is no definitive answer to how many do I need to own. It's going to be totally up to you and your group. But I hope you try some of them out. And if you didn't like one of them, giving one that sounds a bit different a try. It's been a genre that has provided us with some of the best stories, the most laughs, and created great bonding experiences with our best friends. Thanks so much for listening today. If you like the podcast, please leave us a five-star review on your podcasting app. It really helps. And check us out on Instagram at BoardGameJojo and on Twitter at TheBGDojo. And don't forget to check us out on YouTube as well for great game coverage of games from Japan and East Asia. Until next time, Done there.